This is Matt Brown, and you're listening to Just a Good Conversation. Matt Dubois is the definition of passion. Dubois is the president of Carolina Coops, which he designs and builds chicken coops. The business began in 2009 in North Carolina. The whole idea for his business started with a caring for a cute, fluffy chicken as part of a fifth grade school project. Carolina Coops is the gold standard in the chicken coop world. Matt's passion goes beyond the business as he helps his employees and others with their needs. At the end of the day, we would have this reflection meeting with the inmates and with Unconditional Freedom and just listening to them talk to each other. And then I would talk to them. It was eye-opening. I wish we could have caught more of those moments on camera because that's when it gets real. I'm Matt Brown, host of Just a Good Conversation. Take a listen to the archives. My guests have ranged from authors, athletic trainers, entrepreneurs, and model-turned-photographer and creative director, Chris Douglas. Modeling scouts come by, and they were like, hey, they grabbed me and a buddy of mine on campus, and were like, hey, do you guys want to model? And I was like, mm, no. And they were like, well, it's for this brand, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, nope, no interest. And then he told me how much it paid, and I was like, Okay, yeah, where, where do I sign up? So, um... <laughs> the rest of my conversation with Chris can be found on our archives at justagoodconversation.com. Let's take a quick break for a sponsor before diving into my conversation with Matt Dubose. I have got a man with the absolute passion that matches mine. How are you, Matt? I'm doing great today. How are you doing? I'm great. This is, I've been looking forward to this interview and conversation for a very long time. I love what you're doing. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, and we'll dive into it in the long form, but the what you're doing and what you saw, that little window and your passion for woodworking and, and animals and this company became something is extraordinary. Yeah, I love that. I got to ask a question, though. How did you find out? How did you see this? So uh, we, my middle son, he wanted chickens. So we okay. had we had a bocce ball court in our backyard. So I had to destroy the whole yard and re we had a little we had a little gardens. So we had I spent a whole summer and completely, you know, if the kid wants and, you know, my now he's in college. So when kids want like you got little kids you want to spend as much time with them as you can because all of a sudden they grow up and they're gone so i completely destroyed the whole yard redid it irrigation built my wife massive raised beds built the chicken coop with the boys and enclosed them inside the raised beds and they've got this massive space now and we got free breakfast every morning Nice. Oh, that's awesome. So you must have discovered us from our YouTube channel. Yep. Or just... So searching on YouTube, who's who's the man? And I, you know, go down this rabbit hole like <laughs> we all do on YouTube. And I was like, this guy's got a passion. Oh my God. Look at him. He's he's dying in New Mexico in the heat. He's standing out in the rain in Alabama, getting drenched like a wet dog. He's got his oh, crew out no. there. Like it was fat. It's to the point where I feel like a third cousin. I've watched you grow for like 11 years from like starting out driving trailers to coming around. There was a time you were in California and I'm like, that was not that far from my house. I could have driven and seen you. Oh, nice. Yeah, we do. Actually, you know, a fun fact, most of our coops are sold to California. 
Yeah, it's it's the yeah, big that's our thing. largest state. Yeah, it's yeah. our biggest thing. So tell me this: where 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 did you where were you born and raised? Where did this Matt passion come from? Is it from mom? Is it from dad? Oh boy! So now I'm going to forewarn you: I just lost my father. Okay. So I've been a, a mess, <laughs> but I I am who I am, and I, I just speak from my heart. And I'm still struggling with it. I mean, right there, that just triggers an emotion. And I am so thankful because I wouldn't be who I am today if it wasn't for my dad. I mean, he was my hero. He he kicked my ass when he knew I needed some ass kicking. Uh, the path I was going down, I shouldn't have lived past 18 years old. Uh, I drove my dad insane. And what's weird about that, and I can understand it now as a father, I kept trying to tell my dad back in those days, you know, from 13 to probably 18 years old. I'm like, dad, I'm good. What are you talking about? I didn't realize what it was like to be in his shoes and he never gave up on me. Thank God that poor man, what I put him through and he just passed. Now it was the last day of February and he was so proud. So proud of me. And that's what you want, right? When you're right. a son, you, you want your parents to be proud of you. And I grew up as the baby in the family. I have an older sister that's much older than me. And there's, you know, I got the family drama just like everyone else. But, you know, it definitely came from my dad. People have met my father who know me, met my father and are like, man, his name was Jerry. They're like, Jerry, you sure we don't know you already? I feel like I know you. And my dad's like, no, no, I never met you before. Then all of a sudden they find out like, oh, my God, you're Matt's dad. We are that similar. People tell me I'm cut right out of his ass. I come from the same, you know, sheet of fabric, which I just absolutely love. And I hear it, especially, you know, I'm 44 years old now. I hear his mannerisms now come out of me and I just absolutely love. It. So it definitely came from my father. But to answer your original question, I was born, I love to call it the communist state of New York because it is absolutely awful there. And I say that because I can, because I was born and raised in upstate New York. Okay. Uh, right between Rochester and Syracuse, a little okay. town called Clifton Springs, New York. It once was world famous. Uh, so, uh, Dr. Foster had this brilliant idea. Come here and drink this sulfur water and you're going to feel better. Literally, our town smelled like sulfur up until maybe 10 years ago until they were doing some dynamite. And I guess they screwed something up and all of a sudden doesn't smell like sulfur anymore. But a little town called Clifton Springs. And I'm telling you, when I say small town, we didn't have a streetlight. That's how small uh, I come from. And when I, I want to emphasize that because when I tell people I'm from New York, they automatically think you're from the city. Right. And they forget that there's actually cows not that far from Manhattan. Like there's a whole nother world. Absolutely. I went to college down in Western New York and that was my first time meeting people from the city as roommates. They're like, we got to go out and see some cows. I'm like, what are you talking about? They're everywhere. They never even seen a cow just blew my mind. Never seen cornfields. You know, Uh, it's just what a different world. New York City is from upstate New York. And I call it communist state of New York because sad truth is upstate New Yorkers. They're one of the toughest Hardest working, smartest people ever. Yeah. But we have to deal. Our lives are controlled by a, a completely different world, and that is New York City, and they're ruining it. Mm-hmm. They they need to separate it, but I know that's a conversation for another day, but I just give every upstate New Yorker so much credit, and that's also the reason why we have the best food. Right. Because we have nothing else. <laughs> yeah, got nothing else. I mean, Yeah, the, the weather is so bad there, they force you to have to eat something. Right. I mean, people forget that. There's rolling hills, there's grass, it's beautiful land, but it's also very harsh in the winter in upstate New York. I mean, oh, yeah. We got a double snow belt. We got snow coming off of Lake Erie and we got snow coming off of uh, Lake Ontario. So it's nothing for Buffalo to get 
gosh, I want to say one night they got almost eight feet of snow. Oh. You know that 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 that. But you, you guess what? Life still goes on. We still have to go to work. Right. You know, yeah. I'm down here in beautiful Raleigh, North Carolina. They even hear there might be snow. Everything shuts down. They're buying all the milk, all the eggs. Oh yeah, I kid you not. It's no exaggeration. <laughs> they don't know what to do with themselves. <laughs> they they don't. Did your father introduce you to woodworking? Or is that a yes. school thing? He did, and he didn't mean to. So I grew up he didn't as mean my father's to. shadow. He didn't mean to. Oh, absolutely not. He uh, cons my mother in one night. I'll never forget it. He cons my mother in one night. Now, we grew up poor. I want to say we're poor. And my dad just worked constantly trying to make ends meet. And, I, and my mother, I mean, I love my mother, but my mother was your typical textbook, hypochondriac, whoa, whoa, me, da, da, da. And I now, again, looking back and realize what my mother put my dad through. So I give him that much more credit of uh, just the hell he went through to constantly work and come home and never miss a beat when it came to us kids, especially with sports. He just absolutely loved sports. And I don't want to take anything away from my mother. My mother still made sure I think we survived. I don't know. Uh, I look back wondering how in the world that I even survived childhood sometimes. But anyways, he conned my mother and one night we're at Sears and he wanted this saw which was a major, huge purchase for as poor as we were back then. He told my mother, I'm going to build you some cabinets. And it was a radial arm saw. You know, we hardly even use them today, but it was, it was a very common saw back then. And I'll never forget when he started cutting things up. And there's these little scrap pieces of wood. And I, I'm talking, I was young. I was maybe three, four years old. I was taking these blocks of wood and making wooden robots. I was just taking nails and hammering boards together, making robots. So, Technically, you could say that's where it started. And I just had, because I didn't have anything. So that was what I had. And so my father definitely sparked the interest watching him do woodworking, but he did facilities maintenance. Mm -hmm. And I had to go to work with him when, you know, when he has spring break. I worked with him my entire life. So I got to be introduced to everything when it comes to construction. Okay. Um, but my woodworking definitely took off when I had my first apartment. And, and, and I started just building things for something to do down in my basement. Yeah. I think that's a lost art, especially for, for young boys is because especially here in California, they've gotten rid of wood shop. They don't have wood shop anymore. They got an art class or music, which is fine, but you got to be able to build a shelf. You got to be able to build a desk or a table and having that ability to make things with your hands is unbelievable. Yes, just even the art of creation with your hands. And that's one of the things that is so sad about this country is we are eliminating it and we're going to be doomed because of it. You know, I, I tell you from my own business, there are times that we have to unfortunately have to buy things overseas, for example. And I've had to do a lot of networking with, you know, China and Taiwan just to make sure, you know, we keep the prices as affordable as possible for our chicken coops. Anyways, here's what I learned. In China, they are programmed not to think. They literally have zero creativity. They don't know how to create anything. That's why they always copy our stuff. Right. And what scares me is I'm seeing that here is we are just learning to copy and not be creative. And when you think about this country was all about giving everyone equal opportunity. Mm -hmm. uh, it starts with saying, I identify a problem. How am I going to create a solution? And yeah, it starts with school. It starts in school. It starts with these kids. And you know, what ticks me off about shop class is it's okay to have a little bit of risk. Right. We learn from risk. And when we start taking this risk out, we're not learning anything more. You know, the old saying is you learn the most when you're punched in the face. 
by li- eliminating that, we're again, we're just doomed as a society. Oh, God. Yeah, 100%. Did you guys have chickens in your family? Is that a, where's the chickens come from? Because there's an, you know, <laughs> you got woods and chickens. And so I know what came first if you only had wood and you didn't have chickens. That's right. So one thing that my father was so annoyed by me as a kid, I just had a passion for animals all my life. And I loved building things for animals. And he used to hate when I bring animals home, Uh, but he would let me do it, you know, whatever. So did you find every stray dog in the neighborhood? I tried to. Yes. There was a couple of times he's like, get it out of here. Um, I'm going to walk him around. I'm going to find him at home. And uh, oh yeah. Especially my mother. Oh, she definitely did not approve of me bringing animals home. But you know, it's interesting that you asked that question because a question I get a lot is, you know, Matt, how in the world do you even get into chicken coops? Right. And I, I, it started for me. So growing up, no, I did not have chickens. Okay. Except for maybe about for a weekend. And that's my story is when I was a little boy in fifth grade, it was probably the hardest year of my elementary school years because, and I didn't realize this and I know I, I I wish we could fix this. I know there's people that are trying to fix it. I hope to hopefully help provide a solution, but I sat at a desk and I couldn't sit still. I could not learn from a book. It drove me nuts. But here's what happens when you're one of these, and it's typically boys. I'm, I'm sure mm-hmm. maybe it happens for girls, but it's typically boys. We're not meant to learn that way. We're meant to get out and learn with our hands for the most part. So what happens is when you're sitting there, you start to think something's wrong with you. You start to think, God, I am stupid. You see these other kids just excelling. Anyways, fifth grade, spring rolls around. My teacher, who did not like me. It was election year. I was a little, I was like Michael J. Fox. She didn't like me, but whatever. She brought in this box and she brought in this styrofoam cube looking spaceship thing. And for whatever reason, I was just drawn to it. And she showed us, we're going to take these eggs and we're going to incubate them. They're going to hatch into baby chicks. I'm like, oh, you know? And so it takes 21 days to hatch these eggs into baby chicks, I became obsessed with it. You got to keep the temperature just right. You got to keep the humidity just right. And I remember when we were getting close to when they're going to hatch, you got to stop the rotation. You got to kick up the humidity to soften the shell. And I was starting to panic. You know, I was real technical. I was starting to panic. And I was going over to my teacher and I was like, Miss Annunziata, we, we got to up it a percentage. Uh, you know, the humidity's low. And I'll never forget her looking down at him. She was a tall woman. I was short. You know, I'm looking at her and she goes, Matt, where did you come from? Meaning you're engaged. And I'm like, my mommy and daddy, I think. So, but it occurred to me, even at that age, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm learning and I like it. So that baby chicks hatched and we had a really good success rate and it was Friday and we were allowed, I want to say it was like four or five students were allowed to bring six baby chicks home Whoa! for the weekend. Right. And the teacher handpicked each one of us. And she got to the last one that's going to be picked. And I wasn't picked yet. And I'm like, come on, pick me, pick me. And she calls my name. And I was ecstatic. But here's what happened. All the students, almost at the same time, it's almost like it was rehearsed. Oh, no, not Matt. Oh, no, not Matt. I'm like giving them the middle finger in my mind. But at the same time, I'm so happy. And I was just like, why not me? I'm like, I'm the one that was just obsessed in making sure we had a good hatch rate. And even one of the girls said, none of them are going to come back a home alive. If Matt takes them home. And I'm like, you, 
you know. So, but either way, I'm I'm all excited. So I bring the baby chicks home, and of course, my dad. I can I can see it like it was yesterday. He's like, "What the hell are these?" Da, 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 da. And I had the old walkie talkies from Radio Shack, and I would tape the button. I put it down in their brooder, so if I walked away, I could still hear him chirping because you can hear if a baby chick's in distress, right? Sure. So anyway, so I get through the weekend. I bring the baby chicks back uh, to school on Monday morning. I am the only one that brought all ba- all the baby chicks back to school alive. Everyone else has died. What? It was, yes, it was at that moment I knew I was going to have baby, I was going to have chickens when I got older. It was literally, it was, I just knew it. And, you know, fast forward to 2008. What happened to all of their chicks? Like they just didn't have a clue. They neglected them. Most likely they didn't keep them warm. You got to uh, keep your baby chicks warm. You got to be a mama hen. Right. Yeah. You got to keep it. So, so did you have the heat lamp or what did you do to? Oh, I had the heat lamp 5,000. You know, it's just, I made sure everything was perfect. Absolutely. You had just this, you built a baby condo for these guys. You just were ready to go. 100%. Was there also a little bit of, I'll show you, I'm going to come back. You can go to hell. I'm going to have every chicken, maybe one more. I'll be honest with you. There wasn't that I recall. Um, I just couldn't wait to bring them back to school. You know, I was just, I was obsessed with the baby chicks. I was just obsessed. And I was, I was shocked when I heard no one else brought back any baby chicks alive. And I, I guess I, I can recall a second going, huh, huh. But then I was devastated. I was hurt more right. about the baby chicks sure, not coming back. Sure, now 20 some odd chickens that aren't with you anymore. What was the class response with you rolling in like this mother hen with all your chickens? You know, I, you know, these are good questions. I don't recall. I just remember, you know, bringing them back, upset that the other ones didn't live. And, you know, looking back, gosh, yeah, I, I guess I blocked out some of this. Well, I, yeah, there's I, a bit I of just, trauma. I just remember feeling successful that I did something. And that's when I said, I'm going to have chickens when I get older. Like there must be something going on here for the first time. I learned something. I did something right. I did it on my own. And here they are. Wow. So, I mean, that's that little bit of farmer in you, right? Like I'm going to raise these things. I've got my little hens. We're going to do this. Wow. That's absolutely. I mean, I just, I have always loved animals. And and more importantly, creating a environment for them so that you're not jeopardizing anything that comes to them naturally, but yet as humans, we can still enjoy them. Right. Wow. Wow. So you get your, you get everything taken care of. You got your chickens, you come back when, you know, I know you go out into the world there's a bit of a struggle, right? And then you scrap some wood together and you start building stuff. Why, why do you think at that point you need to start building chicken coops for yourself? Well, okay, so here's what happened. I've always told myself I need to get out of New York State. I hate the cold. Okay. And I always love politics, to be honest with you. And in, a lot of things as a child didn't make sense to me. Even growing up through school, I was like, you know, the taxes and this and that. And it's a big thing, especially back in the you know, 80s and 90s. People were always talking about getting down to North Carolina. And my dad even talked about it. So I was just programmed in my head, go to North Carolina. So finally, in 2008, I was overpaid and underworked. I was bored out of my mind. And I, I told my partner, Nan, I said, listen, we are we're leaving. We're going down North Carolina. We're going to start a new life. And she's like, 
Okay. You know, so we she, went down. She was to, fine with it. Oh, yeah. Because oh, that's yeah. a big decision. Oh, yeah. She, you know, I don't know if she's ever really questioned anything. I've done. I imagine she has, <laughs> but she, she's just 100% you got it. She did with Whatever her girlfriends you, quietly behind your back. Like, what am I getting myself into? <laughs> She, I think, I just remember she was just as excited, you know, okay. and she had a great job. She was, you know, uh, she, well, she was a bartender at a very high-end golf course that she made a killing. Right. We made, we had a lot of money and we were just living it up. And this is our late twenties by that point when we went to move, but I was bored. I was so bored. And see, I that's just wanted bad. To get, that's bad to oh, be yeah. bored. Yes. Doesn't that matter how much you get paid and what you're doing. If you're bored, that'll kill you. That's right. Oh, it'll do a lot of damage to you. It can it can get you in a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I tell my employees today, you know, a lot of people think that the more you make, the happier you are. And that's not true. Elvis Presley died one of the most miserable people on this planet. Mm-hmm. He could buy anything he wanted. You know, it's sad. There are so many people probably sitting in their cubicle right now listening to this, making, you know, six figures miserable. Right. You know what I mean? That's sad to me. That is so sad. Uh, but anyway, so when uh, it, was, it was 2007, we decided to move down to North Carolina. We moved on New Year's uh, 2008 and got down to North Carolina. And I can go on and on about the whole story, but um, I finally bought my first house. And it was okay. in Durham, North Carolina, had a quarter acre. And that's when I told Nan, it's time. We're going to go get some chickens. And she's like, are you nuts? We live in the city. We have no business farming this and that. I said, I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. I don't care. Because I love eggs, too. I mean, I love animals, but the truth be told, I really love eggs. And it just made sense to me. Why not have some chickens? So at the same time, here's what happens. Non could not find a job anywhere. Um, I discovered the book, Good Old Boy Club. Okay. The truth is they're still fighting the Civil War in the South. They'll deny it, okay? They'll, they, they hate us Yankees coming down. And to be honest with you, I don't blame them. Um, all these Yankees come down to the South and they tell, they try to tell the people, the locals here, how to do things. I'm like, guys, shut up. You're in their world now. And if anything, I've realized they got it right. Cause they know when to relax. They know when to go call a timeout and go fishing. Anyways, we couldn't find a. I transferred with a company that I worked for, for a long time, but there was a huge struggle. They just didn't like me. Non couldn't find a job. And I also found out I have a boy on the way. And up until that point, I always said, I have no business having a child. I'm too selfish. Um, I, I just, I, I should never be in charge of another human being. But I found out she was pregnant. And, you know, so we're, we're, we bought our first house, got a baby on the way, and I needed to make ends meet. But I didn't have money to go out and buy materials and build things. So as an exterminator, I'm going around to all these different buildings. I'm seeing these dumpsters. And as one day I looked in there and I'm like, man, that's some good wood. I can build something out of it. Well, hell, let me just build my first chicken coop that I've been wanting. So I built my first chicken coop, and it was this little two foot by four foot by maybe three foot tall box. I had no clue what I was doing. To no be plans, with no you. nothing. Just kind of just slapping it nothing. together. That's right. And I, I remember I found some beadboard. I found a bunch of beadboard in one of the dumpsters. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. So I was able to use beadboard. It turned out really, really nice. And I went and got two chickens, and I fell in love with it. I'll never forget coming home, seeing my first egg in that egg box. I ran right to the stove, ate my first backyard fresh egg, and I fell in love with it. I go, oh, dear, I need more chickens. So that's when I decided to sell this little chicken coop. But I remember sitting there, and this is when Craigslist was just first coming out, and I'm sitting there at my laptop going, this is embarrassing. No one's going to buy this thing. But it was really, really nice. 
And I was like, no one's going to want a little chicken coop. Cause you always picture these ho- ho- huge chicken houses. Right. And I sold it in half an hour for 200 bucks. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. And I even asked the lady, I said, you sure this is a chicken coop. This is just a little shoe box. She goes, no, 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 this is great. She goes, Matt, there's a lot of people that have chickens in their backyards. I'm like, what are you talking about? So the next coop I built, again, I'm pulling materials out of a dumpster and I discovered an old shed roof that was just dilapidated and it came off the structure, the walls, but it was just the roof. And I brought that home and that kind of dictated the size of this new chicken coop. So I started building it and I'll never forget standing there going, let's make it nice again. Why not? And it was going to be for like 20 or 30 chickens, if I remember correctly. Well, in the meantime, or at the same time, I left that old Craigslist post up just to see if there's something really going on based on what the lady told me. Sure enough, I kept having people call me and I said, I'm sorry, I sold it. I forgot to take the Craigslist ad down. But I did have one lady from Greenville, North Carolina. I'll never forget. She called me up, told her, I'm sorry, I sold it. She was like, that's okay. I was actually looking for something bigger. I said, really? I said, let me send you some pictures of the one I'm building right now. If you like it, I'll sell it to you. Took pictures of it, sent her the pictures. She called me back in like 10 minutes. She goes, how much you want for it? I said, 2000 bucks, right? Thinking there's no way she's going to spend it. She was sold. Bring it to me. I was like, what in the hell's going on here? Right. Probably one of the most difficult deliveries of my life. Again, I had no idea what I was doing, but anyways, (laughs) the point is after that, I'm poor. I have a baby on the way. I'm in, you know, a whole new world down here in the South, but I just made $2,000 my own two hands pulling crap out of a dumpster and turning into gold. That's when I realized there's something here. And Honestly, I couldn't tell you my next chicken coop after that. And that was now 15 years ago. Wow. I mean, that is <laughs> the, the, the absolute shock in that you make something, your love is sparked through a chicken. You want to build a bigger one and it rolls into where we're at now. That is oh, just, and that there was a need you didn't even know about. That's right. You don't know it's in New York. You come to North Carolina and you have no idea what you said. You were on a quarter acre, half acre. I mean, that's ideal to have chickens. That's perfect. Free range them, have the whole massive coop. And there were everywhere over North Carolina with a need and you didn't know existed. Had no clue at all. And that's why, you know, a lot of times people, and I, I love this responsibility now when people come to me for advice, I try to tell people, don't try to go find a problem to deliver a solution, do what you love to do and it'll come naturally, you know, and that's what happened. I just wanted to do what I wanted to do. And I tell you, looking back, I mean, I've learned a lot of lessons and I do love to mentor other entrepreneurs and, you know, a lot of people beat up your naysayers. They're the best fuel for your fire. And a true entrepreneur, I always tell people you're born with it. You know, you're an entrepreneur or not, and you're, you're born with it. And it's like a disease. And you, you love your naysayers. And they told me I was crazy, but I was just like, no, I'm going to keep doing it. And it without a doubt is a huge component to this organic foundation that I know my company has been built on. Wow. Um, when you're, I mean, cause now it's gonna, you know, things like that in a business can just rock it out of control to the point oh, where yeah. you're like, Oh my God, I'm building coops all day long. I still, I'm still trying to find a job because this, I don't know, is sustainable. I mean, this could end in a month. It's, you know, people can stop calling me on Craigslist. Where was the momentum? You build one, you build two, you build four, and then are you still juggling a job and you have a so, kid on yeah, the way? Yeah. yeah, let me explain what happens. 
I mean, cause that's a yeah. huge life moment. So my son was born. God, if you haven't seen it, it's hard. You just can't believe when you see another human being come out of the love of your life, you see that hair for the first time. If it doesn't change you and make you a better person, then there's something wrong with you. It made me a better person. That's when I realized kid, that's what kids do. You just love them no matter what. And I went into a fight mode. I was like, okay, it's not about me anymore. I need to make sure this. I had to make sure my son was going to be as proud of me as I was of my dad. And I just went into a fight and it, I needed that strength and I needed non uh, without non. I mean, I'd probably be dead right now. Um, I was working for Ecolab, had a full-time job and I would come home every day, probably three thirty, four thirty. I am not exaggerating. I worked in my shop until probably about three in the morning, every night, just trying to get these coops built. And we had no choice because we had to pay the bills but I started to realize, I was like, man, I think I, I might have something here. And I just kept fighting for it. But I can tell you what, it was a fight. It was a struggle. Um, the first three to five years of this business was hell. There was a moment that I thought we were going to go under. And, you know, you just don't realize when you're starting a business how much you have to learn. And you can't really learn it until you go through it. And there were times that I was so grateful to my father and I had a couple other great mentors that were customers originally okay. that said a lot of things like what you said, you know, they recognized the passion and I'm like, really passion. I'm just being me and da da da, and whatever. So it, it was a fight. And then finally, I'll, I'll never forget talking to my dad. And I said, dad, I think I'm gonna quit my job. I'm like, I got to do this. I do not want to have any regret on my deathbed. And he said, he goes, Matt, the biggest risk is not taking a risk at all. And that just made sense. I said, screw it. What's the worst that's going to happen? You know, I'm not, no one's going to take my kid away from me. I'm not going to lose my birthday, but you just have this huge fear of failure. But what I realized is you need that fear to keep you going. And when I, I'll never forget when I quit my job, I was telling Nan, I said, oh, we're going to have so much more free time. No, that's when it just, we just went into full overdrive, but we, for some reason, we're still struggling. And what happened was non couldn't take it anymore. She had the hardest job, one being a mother and two paying the bills. And she goes, Matt, I'm not leaving you. I can't do this anymore. I'm going back to my job in New York. And I was like, crap. Well, I guess the business is done. We're going to sell the house and move to New York. And that's literally what happened was I sold my house in like 30 seconds to my neighbor. We packed everything up. I still had like three or four coupes sold that were in the pipeline and I will do whatever I got to do for my customers. I wasn't just going to say, Hey, I'm sorry. I'm not going to do it now after I promised it wasn't an option. So what happened was it forced me to find a place to build these coops up in New York. And what happened was it forced me to go into a much bigger building. And because of that bigger building, I was able to build them even faster. And that's where without a doubt, we turned a corner and we just kept escalating from there in growth. Yeah, and that, and that with that bigger space, it almost became a factory, right? You were able to start doing walls and you know build this and that. When you have space, it's so much easier. Yeah, absolutely. So no, not even at that point. Um, and I remember I was so scared. So I was like, I had to pay rent like two thousand dollars a month. I'm like, oh my god, how am I going to pay this? I'm even like telling the guy, I'm like, oh yeah, you're good. And back in my mind, I'm going, yeah, right. But something happened, and at the same time, our product was evolving into this, what it is today. It's just beautiful chicken coop. Oh, and there's a lot of moving parts, bells and whistles. 
the functional part of it. I mean, there's so many things to our chicken coops that make them so great today, but that didn't happen overnight. You know, I had to go through a lot of heartaches and listen to our customers, especially the ones that are pissed off. They're the best ones for you. When I, you know, I have to tell other entrepreneurs this, listen to your pissed off customers, be thankful for them because they're going to make you better. Anyways, um, that's what they did. And, and they're and, honest too. They're actually telling you instead of going yes. behind your back and just leaving you some stupid review, they're saying, Hey Matt, this didn't work. I didn't like this hinge. This window's not what I need. I mean, that's huge. 100%, 100%. And I've seen people get mad at their customers, tuck their tail and run. I was like, no, 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 they're making me better. Mm -hmm. 100%. And so we got to a point where I was like, I might need help. And so I hired my first employee in New York who's still with me 10 years later. Who's that? Uh, his name's Evan. His name's oh, Evan, Evan Archer. Okay. I was wondering if Evan was the first I've, I've seen his, his involve. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. I'll never forget it. Cause I asked him, I said, what made you want to call me? He goes, Matt, when you put in your job post that the accuracy has to be more accurate than the thickness of a sharp pencil. He goes, I knew I need to come work for you. Now, Evan was a journeyman Mason. He wanted, he's a big old boy, strong mm-hmm. as a bull. And he was just being used in masonry. I mean, that's a tough, tough job. And he, the man is brilliant. And I recognized real quick how smart he was. So I, I hooked him in as fast as I could and just tried to teach him the best I could. And a lot of it was that they would make, sorry, they would make jokes um, because I didn't have a manual. I still didn't know what I was doing. We were still building coop to coop, figuring it out. And I really forced him to have to figure things out on his own and get creative because I knew he would. And he would get so mad at me. And then finally one day it clicked to him. But uh, yeah, he's still with me. And I asked him one day, I said, Evan, I said, what do you, what's your favorite part of this job? And he said, designing. I said, that's what we're going to do. But not sure when you're going to have your own office one day and you're going to design these masterpieces and people are going to love you for it. And that's what he does today. Whoa. See, it really goes to show who you are, that you've hooked employees like that because of you and your passion and that you're just, you know, passion can only go so far, but you are making something somebody wants, right? You can Mm -hmm. be making a passionate widget and if nobody wants it, you're just a crazy guy with widgets. But what you are passionate about People love, they want, it gives them something. It gives them joy with the chickens, gives them responsibility. And in the end, it also can give them food. You're right. Yeah. I mean, it it solves a problem. That's what I realized is when you think about it, when we come up with an invention or idea, it's to solve a problem. And I didn't know there was a problem to be honest with you in the beginning, but I started realizing, I just, I listened to the customers and what they said. And I just said, okay, you know, I realized real quick customers, give us the best ideas. Our job is just to figure out how to create it, how to execute on it. And it's not easy. And, you know, it, it, you would think that building a chick coop is easy. It's not. If you want to make a perfect one, if you want to put yourself out there in front of a camera, expose yourself to the world, uh, they're going to, they're going to make you good. And that's what they did for me. And it's not easy. You know, there's a domino effect. I talk about a lot. And also my passion as a child is how can I make sure if I'm going to build something for this animal, and I want them to do something for me. I don't want them to have any health issues. I got to make sure they're protected, but I want to make sure I'm encouraging their instincts. I'm going to want to make sure that they're so happy. They're going to come back home every night. That's not easy. But at the same time, you got to make it easy for you. Mm-hmm. You got to make sure, you know, for example, when it comes time to clean out the chicken coop, most people are like, I don't want chickens because I don't want to clean out the coop every week. Well, you don't have to. Right. The deep litter system is amazing. You can go over a year without them to clean it out. 
So what, I, what I'm trying to do is solve these problems for people so that they can get back outside, get out there with your kids, get out in the sun, go get your hands dirty, go find out where our food comes from. And it's just, it's something where we are in desperate need of. And, you know, a lot of people kind of joke that, well, Matt, I'm going to have to buy, or I'd have to produce 25,000 eggs to pay off this chicken coop. I'm like, that's the wrong way to look at it. Right. When you're starting to, you know, put a, if you're going to put a price tag on your health, you know, we're paying for health insurance in a way, a chicken coop that's providing you healthy food. That's a form of health insurance. When you really think about it, we need to get back out there and discover that there are foods. If we grow them ourselves, raise it ourselves, it is so much healthier for you. Yeah. Now, Let's talk about the ugly side of passion, the business side, right? Sure. That can be the thing that takes down companies and passion. Where did you start to get the understanding of like, okay, I've got Evan and now I've got payroll and I've got rent and I've got insurance and I've got to buy enough wood. And I can't just go, you know, buy it like a regular Joe, I guess are buying in bulk. When did that side of the business come in to your mind? So it happens when, when I went back to New York and we had that bigger building and I had Evan by my side, um, we started saying, we started making a little bit of money finally. And I've still to this day, I put every dollar back into the business and I, I started to learn how important it was to take a risk, how important it was to keep pushing it, how important it was to treat every customer as if they're your, if, as if they're, they are your last. And when we, also, at the same time, started networking. I started learning the power of uh, being able to buy in bulk uh, to really, you know, become friends with our vendors. And, and networking is just so important. But anyways, it was about maybe a year or two after Evan came on board that we started buying a bundle of wood, if you will, which okay. doesn't sound like a lot today because we buy it by the train now. But <laughs> back then, I'll never forget, Evan and I were standing there when, when Lowe's uh, delivered our first bunk of wood. We were like, but we felt that milestone and it, it just clicks naturally everything that led up to that moment. So what happens is you start learning. It's good to push it. You need to, and it will help you take that next step and to never get comfortable, to never get lazy. And it, it definitely started to spark from there. And of course, you know, when it comes to the business side of things, if people don't know you're there, they don't buy from you. Right. And in today's day, you know, you got the internet and I don't know anything about a website. I don't know anything about SEO, but uh, that also played a huge role in the success of this company is just figuring out who, who should do our website, who should make sure that the people find out about us. Was there a bit of bad websites early on and it just got better involved? <laughs> I can see that was a yes by your head dropping. Oh my gosh. So, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that because so my first website was built by a web designer and he was a customer. So we bartered he built a very beautiful website. But the thing about websites is there's a website designer and you got the person that does the SEO search engine optimization. Mm -hmm. um, very seldom do you have a designer and SEO person in one. You have to have a person that's doing all the back end work, making sure you understand Google, which is always changing, which is actually a good thing. So you can't monopolize on it, but you got to understand the algorithms. So anyways, a time came where a dear friend of mine said, Matt, you need to hire someone that I know that will boost your SEO. And he this I met with this person. His name was Sam and he was extremely expensive. 
But I said, wait a minute, we got to take a chance. You know, it works. We got to risk it. And I always had this dream, you know, I want everyone on this planet to know about us. And I'll never forget sitting in that office. I gave him the green light. I said, build the website, do what you got to do. And I remember walking out that office out into the floor. And I said to Evan, I said, I either made a great decision. or I just made a huge mistake and it's going to blow us under. And the website just boomed. I don't know what he did, but he did something where the traffic was just coming in. Here's the problem. (laughs) The man was so difficult to deal with. He was arrogant. His social skills sucked. And at a certain point, you got to kind of ask yourself, where are you going to draw the line? And fast forward, uh, I mean, from that point, maybe, maybe, God, we dealt with him maybe four or five years. I don't know. Um, I had a customer down in Raleigh, North Carolina, who bought a chicken coop. And we sold her the chicken coop, built her chicken coop, delivered her chicken coop. And she called me about a week later. She goes, Matt, I want to help you. How's that? you need to make it easier for people to find you. I'm like, what do you mean? Sam's doing such a good job. She goes, no, we can do better. This is Ingrid. This is my dear beloved Ingrid. She goes, let me come work for you. And I'll never forget having this conversation with her going, are you sure? I think Sam has this magical dust that he uses. He proved to me he can boom the the website. He can grow the SEO. She goes, there is no magical dust. You just got to trust me. And I realized I'd rather trust someone that wasn't a jerk, (laughs) that was compassionate about, her chickens and was a customer. So I took a major risk there and it was one of the best decisions I ever made. I'll never forget when I fired Sam, he was taken back. He's like, Oh, it fires me. I'm like, whatever, dude, you're a jerk. So, and I still have Ingrid today. And I think she's been around for six years. Absolutely love her, you know, and that that's another huge part. If you want a successful business, it may not always, you don't always maybe want to do business with the person that might produce good numbers. Because that's really half of it. Right. The other half, which is my favorite part, is are you going to get along with the person you're working with? Sure. You know. Uh, so 389 videos ago on YouTube, when did you decide like, hey, we got to start putting us on YouTube? And, wow. And not just doing that, recording it. Because like the first one is just an intro and it is straight up 45 seconds of typical sliding photos of, yeah. new coops you're making. What made you say, okay, we got to go and make it a reality show behind the scenes. So I'll never forget this moment. I, for the first time, I was able to go on the road to deliver the coops, assemble the coops for our customers with another employee of mine that still works here. His name's Sean. And I was able to leave Evan back. And I remember leading up to that, I was always like, man, imagine if I could just go on the road, put these coops together and and have someone back home still building them. That'd be a huge success, right? So we've made it. <laughs> yeah, right. So here we are trying to figure out how to even load coops up on a trailer, which we were working way too hard. But anyways, we had a customer at that time in the very beginning of this. His name was Charles Glover and super nice guy and had a lot of long conversations with him and we get down to do his coop finally, and we were way behind. I already had to break our date with him, if you will, three or four times. So he was not happy. So we finally get to his house, and we're assembling his coop, and he wasn't home yet. So I'm kind of stressing a little. You know, I'm like, man, this guy, I hope he's going to be happy with this chicken coop. Da, da, da. <laughs> so we get towards the end of the day. His coop's almost done, and I hear this motorcycle rolling down this driveway. And his wife's standing there watching, and she goes, that's him. I'm like, oh, boy, here we go. He comes up, he, he, he laid into me. He laid into me. He goes, you lied to me four times. 
blah, 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 just, just beating us up on our logistics side of things, our, you know, our communication, whatever. And then he looks at me, I'll never forget this. He looks at me, he goes, now let me tell you what I love about you. And he just started saying things that I'm going, how does he know this about me? And he kept using that word you're using today is passion. He goes, Matt, your passion is unbelievable. That is what makes you who you are and why people are going to choose you. But then he took my hands. He literally grabbed them. He goes, here's the other problem, though. Your hands should not look like this right now. You got a business to go run. And I will just never forget this moment. And he and and in our conversation with him, you know, we're talking back and forth about, you know, what what can I do? He goes, you need to get out there in front of everyone. And I remember saying, well, I'm kind of scared. I don't want people to see our chicken coops too much or they're going to start copying us, this and that. He goes, that's your biggest mistake. If you go down that path, he goes, you need to get out there, open yourself up to everyone because they're buying from you. That's what I did. I just went full on videos. I opened up as much as I could and we're still doing, it. I mean, I got a camera crew here today. I'm just, I want to expose everything to everyone. Right. And it's, it's definitely a secret. I don't want to say a secret. It, it was a major part of our success is for me to grow a set of balls, get in front of the camera, show everything, the good, bad, and the ugly. Right. And people love it and they appreciate it. And that's why they trust us and buy from us. Of the 389, the one that, I think is the gold standard. The one, if you did a tech talk and you should be doing one is the one in the Mendocino County jail. When you went there, that was Matt just like the Carolina coop, like the gold standard. That is so sweet. So touching showing a real side of people who are absolutely down on their luck. They're in prison. They have got all kinds of things and you are so good there. I mean, it is fucking an Emmy performance on how sweet and touching that video is. How did that come about? So we were contacted by God, you're gonna, I'm going to need a second, to come up with the names. Um, it was a nonprofit organization, okay. unconditional freedom. Mm-hmm. They called me up and said, Matt, we really love your coops. Would you be willing to donate a coop to this um, thing out in uh, Mendocino County to uh, allow these inmates to have a chicken coop out in their yard? And I got on the phone with that. So I was an email and I read it. So, okay, let's get them on the phone. So I got them on the phone and they're pitching the whole thing to me. And I said, listen, I'm going to do one better. I'm going to come out there with you and we're going to do it together with the inmates completely for free. I'm going to donate this coop. I'm going to donate my time. I want to be there. I want to be shoulder to shoulder because I so was hooked and believed in their, what they're doing. And that is show some love. Mm-hmm. That's all they need. The reason why they're most likely in prison is they were never truly loved, especially tough love. Right. And I said, wow, this is awesome. And I knew I, I wanted to, I always love a challenge. And I thought there's going to be no bigger challenge than trying to put a coop together in a prison yard surrounded by razor wire with inmates. And we did it. You know, I met with the sheriff, super nice guy, Sheriff Kendall, what an amazing man. He too believes in it. 
And it just all made sense to me. So we, we, we put this coop together in the shop. We cut it in a million parts. We didn't assemble it in panels like we normally do. Right. You know, we, we got to make it even more harder. So we send it out in a bunch of parts so that we can even assemble the walls and then assemble the coop out there. And <clears throat> what I realized is not only did we do Carolina coops did a lot for these inmates uh, and, and unconditional freedom did a lot for them. I needed it. I learned so much from them. And I, at the end of the day, we would have this reflection meeting with the inmates and with unconditional freedom and just listening to them talk to each other. And then I would talk to them. It was eye opening. I wish we could have caught more of those moments on camera because that's when it gets real. And it was just an amazing experience. And we're going to do it again. I can't wait to do it more because at the end of the day, it's easy for people to talk about what the solutions are. It's a whole nother thing to get out there and be part of the solution. And these guys and women, there was women too that helped build the chicken coop. They absolutely loved it. They were in tears. You know, they, they can relate, you know, their chickens were in this little tiny jail cell, the chicken coop. And they couldn't wait to get them in this big, beautiful chicken coop. But they built, and, too. That was the amazing part. They did it. You didn't just drop the chicken coop off. That's right. Oh, yeah. We were out in the prison yard. We were there for a week or so and filming, and I was teaching them things. I was doing what I guess I normally do. I right. was showing them how to use a transit. I made sure they knew how to read a tape measure. And something I'll never forget, and this just sounds so crazy, but it happens. They asked me to have lunch with them. And I felt so honored to come into their world. Because here, well, here's what a lot of people may not realize unless you're on the inside. Food is gold. Like they don't, you don't realize what you have until it's gone. And the the prison food's not that good. But they asked me to come have lunch with them. And I just felt so honored. And I sat down, had lunch with them. We had a great conversation. And it just, it just blew me away. And it really helps put things in perspective. So it was, it really was so good for me as much as it was for them. Yeah. I mean, you make chicken coops and it's, you put them in people's yards and it might, you know, affect their family and the kids are happy and stuff. But that video shows you absolutely changed lives that day. Oh yeah. That's awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's where, again, I mean, chickens, that's the power of chickens. They're not just this animal that's going to poop you out breakfast. You know what I mean? <laughs> they bring neighbors together. I have seen neighbors come together by, you know, typically what happens is someone's like, hey, I want to have a chicken coop. They go knock on their neighbors. There's always that one neighbor's like, no, 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 I can't stand roosters. I don't want the smell. I was attacked when I was a kid. And that's not the case with backyard chickens. And I always tell them, I said, give that neighbor free eggs. Give them some of your eggs. You'll solve it. And it works every single time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can't, you can't go wrong. You must be, you know, if I went around and interviewed your employees, they must think that you're the greatest guy ever. You must be one hell of a fun boss, right? Every boss is a boss, but you must be one hell of a fun boss. You know, it's funny you say that because I have been in management for 20 years, 15 of it for my own business. And it took me until buying this building in North Carolina to really master the art of hiring. Cause it's the hardest thing mm-hmm. hiring and firing. It's two hardest things in management. And I realized a, I, we created a system for our hiring and 
you know, that's a whole nother story, but they go through a three day tryout. They're in the very beginning. Like we really make it like you, we, you aren't going to make it past day one. Da, da, da. And a lot of people don't. And it's not that they don't make it past day one because they can't do the job. It's, it's just whether or not they can keep up and be part of the team. And I'll tell, and I explain to them, I said, after you get through your three day trial, start your 90 day. And after 90 days, we just find out who you are. You know, because people are going to lie to you in an interview. You're never more lied to than you are in an interview. But after 90 days, they can't hide anymore. They can't hide their pill addictions if they're an alcoholic or whatever the case is. Can you check the drama at the gate? But I also like to tell people we're a family-owned business. And I love the times that my employees will come to me and ask me for help. And 99.99% of the time, they deserve it. And I get to change their life, just like they're helping change mine. We have helped. We got employees going through rehab. We got employees that came out of jail. We got employees that wanted to buy a house. I got employees that just want to build their credit. And I I get to help them. And I just absolutely love that. But one of the things in the interviewing process that I tell people, if they want, go out on the floor. Ask any one of my employees what they think about working here. I love it. They all love it here. Um, there somehow we've created a filtering process and it's not always perfect, but and we do have quite a few employees that don't make it through that three day tryout because sure. we don't tolerate crap. And, and and I don't, you know, they don't have to, these new employees don't have to make me happy anymore. I always tell them you got to go impress those people out there. That's your team. Mm-hmm. And they're going to tell me if they don't want you here, you know, there's the, don't be sneaking in your vape. Right. Don't be on your phone. Come on. Let's, let's get real here, people. And it just works. And the team I have now is the best I have ever had. And they're amazing people. Now you touched on it. You left New York and you came back to North Carolina. Yes. So, you know, trying to keep my emotions in check because this is an emotional roller coaster going back in time. So is business. When, <laughs> yeah. So here's what happened when non said to me in Durham, I'm not leaving you, but I'm going back home. Here's what was going on. We were struggling financially. We were doing good. Then all of a sudden a Yahoo came on the scenes and started building chicken coops and they weren't very good, but the price was hard to resist. And I saw our numbers just plummet. And I'm like, what in the world's going on here? And that's when I said, no one's going to outwork me and no one's going to outsmart me. But I got to give it time. I got to figure out what to do here. But when Nan said, I'm going back home, she's going to get her old job back. I knew I needed that cushion financially because I wasn't ready to give it up, but I was ready that I was going to have to. And the guy just ended up going under eventually at some point. But either way, I remember before I left North Carolina, I said, I'm going to come back with a vengeance. I'm going to come back smarter and I'm going to outwork this guy and he'll disappear. Whatever. You know, I'm a competitive person. You know, I'm trying to say it nicely. <laughs> and I had no idea we were going to come back the way we did. And we came back uh, be two years ago. You know, I, I knew what I needed. I needed to buy this building, have a much bigger space. I need a North Carolina mat. You know, a little joke is there's New York mat and there's North Carolina mat, North Carolina mat. I like North Carolina, Matt. He's a lot nicer. He's takes a little bit more time to kind of slow down and, and be nice and, and whatever. North New York, Matt's ruthless. And I didn't want that. I didn't like that, Matt. I knew I wasn't helping my employees the best I could. So by being here, coming back, it just, it, it helped heal those wounds of feeling like I was a failure. I never forget telling my dad that I'm like, dad, I think I failed. You know, we're gonna go back to New York. We're gonna have to shut the doors on the business and this is all for nothing. I'm going to go back and be a bug guy. And he's like, you were in failure, you know, da, da, da. but don't give up. And I didn't. So I came back and 
I couldn't be happier. As soon as I saw this building, I knew it was it. And the people here, especially the diversity, that's the thing I love about North Carolina. Half the people here are locals, and then the other half, we're all transplants. And we all left where we were raised for some reason, and we had that in common. And it just makes, I just, I love the people here. And I just, my employees, so diverse, where their backgrounds, where they come from. But yet, they are all just hardworking people. That's fantastic. Talk to me about this evolution of the coop from the what you've started to where you're at now. I love, you know, the Carolina coop, the American coop, the California coop. You have all these coops. You do custom coops. I mean, you did a modern coop out in Vegas. It's a very modern looking coop. Oh, yeah. You know, you let Evan start to design. Do you guys ever sit there and go, oh, we hit on something? Oh, that, yeah. So here's what happens. Coop. Here's what you have to learn as an entrepreneur. Um, I was making this mistake and I realized it was a huge mistake. Don't try to sell something at a price point that you are going to buy it because it's not your money. Let the customers decide. That's the beautiful, uh, that's the beautiful part about a free market. Um, I was holding us back on what we have today because I was so scared. I was going to, it was going to be too much, but I kept listening to our customers saying, Matt, you know, I'll never forget. It was for a lady in Concord, North uh, Con uh, Concord, California, if I'm saying it right, outside mm -hmm. of San Francisco. Yep. Anyways, she's the one that said, Matt, I want my backhand house doors to have a door in a door. I'm like, okay, a little weird, but let's do it. I figured it out. One of the best parts about our chicken coop, you know, so, but it kept adding to the price. And I, I was so worried. I was like, how are we, we're going to put, you know, price ourselves out of the market, but it never happens. And then when I also realized through the evolution of our chicken coops, we didn't just raise the bar of what a backyard chicken coop should be. We reinvented what a backyard chicken coop should be. But listening to what people wanted, walk, walk in, run, gabled roof. And I'm like, man, this is going to complicate things. But I always knew if we were able to take these coops that kept getting bigger, and that's what chickens want. They want a big chicken coop. This is where I could say size does matter. They, they want a big chicken coop. The biggest mistake you can ever make is building too small of a coop for your chickens. But – I didn't let that scare me, and we kept solving problems, especially taking 90% of our coops get shipped out yeah. all around the world. They're all panelized. We've really learned how to panelize a chicken coop that it's one thing for us to put it together. We can put a coop together real easily. I got to make it so our customers can put it together. So we just every day, you just keep chipping away and making sure you're improving somewhere. You don't ever want to get comfortable you don't ever want to think, okay, that's good enough. No, you always are trying to figure out where you can improve. And, you know, another major part about the evolution of our chicken coop is putting a roof together. That's kind of, that's kind of scary. And my goal has been, I want to design a chicken coop that anyone can put a coop together. I want people to get out there and challenge themselves, especially if they never use a screw gun, no big deal. I'm going to show you in videos how to do use a screw gun. But anyways, so like our roofing system, we we notch everything. It is ridiculous. It's so overkill. But what happens is it it's like a Lincoln log set. And that allows the customer to have these index points when they're putting their coop together so they don't have to break out a tape measure. But what it also does, because you're building a 3D puzzle, it trues itself up as these parts lock into each other. Wow. I mean that yeah. that is that sounds so simple, but that is so hard to do to make something where you ship it out and you trust the guy in Billings, Montana can put it together and not have to keep calling you. I'm missing pieces. Things aren't working. Where did my joists aren't connecting. My footing's all wrong. That, that, oh, that is unbelievable. 
Yeah, I tell you, and I, I love when, like, we did a huge custom coupe a couple of years ago out in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and he was a structural engineer. So I felt a little intimidated, and super smart guy, and he taught me so much. But anyways, he couldn't comprehend how we were going to build his coupe in, our, in our style of building. He's like, man, it's not going to work. It's impossible. Because when you build a large building, you stick frame it, you plumb it up with a level, you do this and that. No, no, no. We decided, I, I trusted Evan. I said, Evan, we're going to build this huge chicken coop just like our smaller ones. And that is, you're going to draw it up, and we're going to cut every board as a giant kit, and it's going to fit together perfectly. And that's exactly what it did. He, the structural engineer, he kept coming out. He's in awe. He's like, I can't believe this system works. I said, yes. I said, just because the number has, just because there's three numbers now instead of two, doesn't mean the system won't work. And, yeah, it's just I love when builders, good builders, the ones that are really good, they're the ones that say, Matt, I can't believe it. The the accuracy and how well it goes together. Uh, it's just, it's just, a, it's a recipe that's worked for us. I know you don't want to say, you know, this or that over the best, but what has been one of your most memorable builds where you went out to the site and you were absolutely proud. You like knocked it out of the park. Um, Give me one second. I'm on. All right. Sorry. Um, gosh, there's so much I would love to talk about, but I can't, I got <laughs> to, there's so much personal things to it, but let me just say this. Uh, th there was a person I disliked very much back in, I think it's going to be 2015 and he was a thorn in my side and he was an obstacle for uh, certain parts of the puzzle that I needed to make sure this was successful. And one of the things he said is, you'll never sell a coupe to the Pacific Northwest. And I'm like, all right, watch me. Here we go. And I was worried. You know, there's always that other part of you going, man, it may not happen. And we did it. We built a beautiful Carolina coupe, mortise and tenon, which means it's out of four by fours. It's built like just how they did woodworking a thousand years ago, 2000 years ago. And we loaded it up into a trailer. And we had to drive. It was going to be our longest drive at the point from New York State all the way to Vashon Island outside of Seattle. That alone is a success story just to make it there in time. But then we had to take a ferry to get out there on the island and then get into this gentleman's property to put this coop together. And I've never at that point ever been to the Pacific Northwest. And it is so beautiful. I got to check a couple things off my bucket list. I was went down to Astoria. I'm a, I love Goonies. Got to see the house. Went out to Hay Haystack, Needle Rock, whatever that thing is out there. Anyways, um, just a whole nother world, similar to where I'm from, but different. Big, giant Douglas fir trees, beautiful, wet, green. And by the time we were done, that was definitely, I knew there's nothing we couldn't do. When someone said, oh, you'll never sell a coupe to the Pacific Northwest, and, and that's probably our second most busiest place now. And that was a coupe I just fell in love with. That's when I knew we could fabricate a coupe, put it in a trailer, and drive it from East Coast all the way to the West Coast and put it together, and the customer absolutely loved it. Wow. I mean, those are those are great experiences in a business. The, oh, you, we can't? Oh, I'll show you. The hell with absolutely. that, buddy. We're coming, and we're going to build you the best goddamn coupe you can ever imagine. That's right. I love my naysayers now. Uh, I I will knock it out of the park. Have and I'm going to take like... pictures and videos along the way. <laughs> I will show you on YouTube. Have That's you right. feel like you've caught your breath now? Like you've kind of, 
Because I know you were going through some health things and it was a lot of, you know, the stress business. Have you feel like you kind of caught your breath? That's a great question because I don't know. And I've been asking myself that every day. I I was under so much stress uh, by 2017 that it showed up on my face. You can see it in my videos. Yes, you can, sir. Um, I, uh, I, I, I have vitiligo that the doctors, you know, no one really knows what, where it comes from. And it's an autoimmune, if I remember correctly. And the doctor said, you know, how, he asked me, because how's your stress? I almost just fell apart there because I try to hide it, you know, and I don't, whatever. I tried to hide it. And the doctor, I realized like, oh, he sees it. And I told him, I said, it's not good. And he goes, you reduce your stress, your vitiligo will probably stop. And I said, it won't go away. He goes, nope, you got that permanently. And I was like, crap, that kind of sucks. But anyways, um, I made some decisions to reduce my stress and thank God I did. And it worked. And there's personal and business part of it. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, one of the things I realized is, yes, I love that we've grown. I love that we have our high-end luxury custom chicken coops. I love that we have our production coops because my mission has been I want to coop for everyone. But I feel like still a bigger dog still chasing its tail. But when it comes to do I see the light at the end of the tunnel, I, I think I'm just now seeing it in the past month, to be honest with you. Even yesterday, for the first time, out in front of this building of ours, I have four coops on display. I've never owned a coop myself. Just never could. The, the plumber always has the leaky toilet, right? That's right. That's and right. I, I, no one saw it. I fell apart in tears because it's something I always saw in my mind. And a part of me on one shoulder is telling me that it's never going to happen. And the other part of me on the other shoulder said, it's not an option. We need to do it. And I can, I knew my dad was smiling. And I, when I start to see these things that I've visualized in my mind, even since I was a kid, come to life, I start realizing, okay, you know, there is a light at the end of the tunnel and I'm still learning every single day, especially the things that stress me out. I realize we're going to solve it. Don't freak out. It's not the end of the world, especially with my team. I love seeing, it's like being a parent. Today, I mean, I'm watching some of my employees. They they identified a problem before I did. They already implemented the solution. Um, I just I just absolutely love it. And they're doing a better job than I ever could. That's got to make you glow as an as as the owner and as a person. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, my job isn't to build coops anymore. My job's not to design. My job is one, make sure no one gets hurt. But number two is to develop a team to make them the best they can be. And that's what a coach does, especially. I got another great success story. A, a good coach can see something in someone and they don't see it. They don't see their talent. They don't see their whatever it might be. Right. And I just love that challenge. And it's so rewarding when I have other employees come up to me and go, oh, I guess you're right about that person. I said, yes. I said, learn from this. Don't just discount them. You know, yeah. it's, it's it, it, that's a tough one. That's a really hard thing to master, but it's so rewarding. You don't know when you're going to find that Tom Brady in the sixth round, right? That's right. That's right. That's exactly it. Yeah. And so if you can find one or two here and there and those guys can actually do the work, that's what you want. Absolutely. And they, they spread that goodness because if, they, if they're not good people, if they're not hardworking people, they don't have that heart. Um, you have the opposite and that right. becomes a cancer. That becomes a disease in the business, in the company. So let's go back to if you could be the fifth grade Matt again. Are you guys even thinking about maybe doing tours of the facility? for like school kids, because I think if kids saw what you were doing, 
you could spark so many kids with like, oh my God, woodworking chickens. And you can like have this little evolution of like, you you could be like the missions in third grade or everything cool for kids. Has that ever co- crossed your guys' mind? It's it's on my list. Ah, and you fantastic. know, when you mention do you see a light at the end of the tunnel? What I have warned my team here, I said, and I joke, I said, I'm gonna retire. I'm gonna go on to my next thing. They don't know what my next thing is. It's time to pay back. It's time to give more than I've taken. And I suffered through school. And it wasn't until I went to vocational school and I went to a tech school that I got to learn my hands. I excelled and it made me realize there are so many kids again, especially boys. We're trying to educate them in a way they're not meant to learn. So we lose all that and they, they end up bored. They end up thinking they're stupid. And next thing you know, they're on drugs or in jail and boom, the life's wasted. I am not going to take all this hard work that myself and my team has done. The success that the customers have given us and just let it, go to waste. I, I absolutely, you got to get into the schools. You got to get the kids out here and I need to share. And this is why I love talking about this. I need to share the story because I lived it. The American dream is still there. You just got to have a set of balls and the willingness to work your butt off. That's it. There is no secret to have a successful business, but balls and work like crazy. And when you're about ready to give up, that's when you start sprinting. That's when, when you're about ready to give up, that's when you know you're onto something and you got to really push through. And I went through those moments and there were times I wanted to give up. There's times I just wanted to throw in the towel and I said, I I can't, it just wasn't in me. I will regret it. And thank God I didn't. And I absolutely, I want to bring kids in here. Uh, We, we actually do a little bit of it now. Now I think about it. Um, We volunteer our time hatching eggs, actually just doing exactly what was given to me, hatching eggs in the classrooms. And the kids love it. I have Ugh. so much fun. Even the teachers are in awe, yeah. you know, and they're asking a million questions. And I tell you my favorite story. There's one time we did it and one of the eggs didn't hatch, you know, so you're candling them. Right. And you can see that they were developing because it was really dark inside, but it didn't hatch. And all the students, you know, I think they're kindergarten kids at this time. They're all sitting there crisscross applesauce and the teacher's like, oh, no. and I go, do you guys want to crack this egg open? Let's see what happens. And that's like today's a big, no, no, don't show them death. Don't show them da, da, da. So, you know. And the teacher's like, no, no, no. All of a sudden on cue, the kids are like, crack it, crack it. Crack. I'm like, I got to do it. So we cracked it open. And what happened was there's two chickens and one egg. And very, very seldom will they ever survive and hatch. And they got to see it. And that's what these kids, they got to see the good, bad, and the ugly. It's the only way for them to learn. But we just had so much fun. And and that's what we all need to do as adults, as parents. We need to give back to these kids. Not give, but have them earn it. Right. You know, and that's, that's, again, for a whole other story that I've become very, very passionate about. That's fantastic. Leave me with this. What is your top three advice for people who own chickens now? Do your research. Don't just listen to me, even though mm-hmm. when I give my opinion, I'm going to back it up and I will always explain pros and cons. Always remember where did chickens come from? What did they do before coops were invented? And that's why we do what we do in our chicken coops. Understand chicken math is real. You think you're just going to get four chickens? No, no, no. You then plan on 24 chickens. Trust me. Um, And 
you know, I guess the number three thing is, you know, if you're not going to buy a coupe from me, and I'd say this all the time, if you're not going to buy a coupe from me, that's fine. Learn from us. I'm not telling you to call up and ask for my recipe like some people do, but learn about the basics and get out there and build your own, but don't make the biggest mistake is, and that is making it too small. Right. Right. Yeah. That's uh, that's good advice because uh, we're working on our second chicken coop because the boys and I like to work on it, and we've taken a lot of what you do. We're gonna be, I'll be purchasing some deep hemp from you, you know, nice. getting that stuff. Um, but yeah, the, getting the chickens has been the best thing we've done. My wife's happy; she calls them her little chicken. She goes out there and you know feeds them scraps and does all the eggs every morning, and the boys are responsible for putting them to bed and getting them up and cleaning and. We got a compost pen. And so it's, it's been a right. big change in the house. Isn't that awesome. Yeah. I mean, it gets us back outside, getting dirty, understanding nature, understanding the life cycle. You know, the other thing too, is that I absolutely love is we here in America, we are so wasteful. It's disgusting. Oh. And the thing about when you're on a farm, if you set it up right, you get to take what you have left for table scraps, give that to your chickens, mm-hmm. let them eat it. And they're going to give you back eggs. I mean, the recycling on a farm is just so much fun. Even in, in, a, in a city environment, backyard chickens, you don't have to waste those table scraps anymore. I, I did the math and we are doing one and a half less bags a week yeah. in trash because it's going to the chickens. Nice. And you're also going to save on chicken feed. Yep. You know, and then when you're deep littering inside your chicken coop, like you do with Carolina coops, when it does come time to clean that out a year or two afterwards, that stuff is gold. Right. Right. And Miracle Girl has nothing on chicken droppings. Yeah. And you can take this and again, recycle. It's not waste. It's gold. And use that properly to maybe an anaerobic or an aerobic state compost and then put that on your garden or your trees or whatever you want to do with it. You know, chickens just, they give us so much in return for the very little they do. And that is walk around and eat and poop out an egg, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Matt, you are absolutely the best. You, uh, you would make a fantastic neighbor. That's how I judge people. You would be a great mm. neighbor, man. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Um, this is, this try. is, <laughs> this is something I've wanted to do so bad to talk to you. Cause I, I like I said, your passion, your business that you've built, your employees. I see it in the videos. Uh, you know, I, I love watching your evolution. I've seen your pain and your struggle and your happiness and your joy. And, and you know, you keep doing what you're doing, sir, because it is beautiful to watch. Well, thank you. And I can't thank you enough for taking time to watch that. Uh, I forget how much people do watch the videos. I love when they come here and they, they think I'm a movie star. I'm like, no, I'm just Matt. <laughs> I'm just here and they just, I go get, get out there and thank them. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But I appreciate you taking the time to watch those videos. No, it, it's fantastic. It's way better than the crap that's on regular TV. <laughs> it's nothing that's like right. watching a grown man sweat, like I said, and almost drowned in the middle of the South. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh my God. Yeah. That, God, there's so many stories actually about the videos. Oh, um, yeah. especially with the kids. It's funny. I, it, there's been children that go to bed watching our chicken coop videos you know, we've had children in hospitals that were sick, and that is what got them by is watching our videos. And the parents will call us up. They'll send us gifts just saying, thank, Matt, thank you so much for your videos. My daughter has leukemia, and this has just been her go-to video every night in the hospital. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, so I can't thank you guys enough for watching them. All right. Well, if I ever make it out to North Carolina, Raleigh, I'm going to stop by, and I'd love to shake your hand and buy you a beer. 
Oh, that'd be. We'll do the same thing if we make it back out to California. Yeah, you let me. If you know if you're in Southern California, I'd love to drop by and watch a build. Absolutely. All right, you're the best, Matt. I appreciate your time, sir. You too. Thank you. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Matt Dubose. If you enjoyed this episode, please click the like button and become a subscriber to the podcast. Remember to follow the Just a Good Conversation podcast on Instagram, and you can find all of our past shows on the website at justagoodconversation.com. Thank you for listening.